What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are on episode 52. Um, that means that Behind the Facade is now one year old. And so I would like a collective applause from all of you listeners. And um, you can send your birthday gifts in. And um, ah, I'm only kidding, obviously. The uh, But it's great to finally meet that milestone of 12 months of broadcasting. And I'd like to thank you guys so much for all of your support. It's been uh, it's been great, and thanks for all the messages and things like that that I've received over the last twelve months from various listeners. Um, last week was a bit of a rant from me, and um, I talked about the psychological tricks and techniques designed to make you buy stuff online, generally speaking. But it works kind of in pretty much all formats, and that was a rant, rant primarily because I saw it being misused. Um, now, I get that it's a tried and tested formula, and at the end of the day, people have to go out and sell stuff, so I don't have a problem with that, but it really bugs me when I see it being misused, and um, I really felt that the guy that was um, that was using these kind of techniques and, and making all these kind of really big promises that like were complete BS, in my opinion, I thought... He kind of, he just appeared like he was preying on his um, potential customers rather than supporting them or serving them. A bit like a gazelle being chased by a pack of hyenas or something like that. Anyway, this week, it's just me again. Uh, but don't worry, I have some really good guests lined up, including none other than Daniel Priestley. I, I don't know if you guys would know who Daniel Priestley is, but he wrote a book called KPI or Key Person of Influence. And it's an absolutely fabulous book, really, really well worth a read. And he's written four or five other books as well. And Daniel is a, a really, really smart business guy, knows his stuff. Um, probably one of the smartest guys I've kind of met in this whole space. And I'm actually speaking with him on Monday. So I'll be putting that out probably next week, that episode. And I have a number of other guests lined up for various days throughout the next week or so. So we're probably going to have uh, be spoilt with different guests coming on over the next couple of weeks. This week, I'm talking about how you should mentally deal with those missed out opportunities that you sort of pass on or whatever. But before I go there, I just want to ask you guys, number one, have you subscribed to my new YouTube channel yet? Number two, have you watched the last two or three videos and given them a like? And number three, have you left a comment yet? Now, I'm going to be honest with you and say I don't think you have because I just had a look at my video and there are only 19 likes on it. And I kind of thought to myself, come on, we can do better than that. And I see there's only nine comments left on the last video. And I was thinking to myself, nine comments? Really? Is it that bad? Um, by the way, thank you to Alison, to Eddie Bushra, Anne, Christina, Shane, Chad and Alfredo for your support. And um, just, <laughs> I'm only kidding, obviously, guys, but the reality is that the YouTube algorithm only promotes videos that show good engagement from the viewers. And so it's looking for things like comments, it's looking for likes, and it's looking for the number of views. So I just kind of thought to myself, you guys, it's, you know, we're, we're now a year into the podcast. And so as a little birthday gift for us, 
you might just pop over to the YouTube channel and hit subscribe and maybe like a video or two and just um, show your support and it might just boost the channel numbers. I've actually set myself the challenge of getting to a thousand subscribers and I'm currently way down at 346. So I'm hoping to you uh, to leverage this incredible community that has built up around the podcast and see if we can hit a thousand subscribers. So if you're liking these podcasts, if you'd like to give us uh, that little bit of support uh, on another channel, then please do so. And just I've put in the show notes, I've actually put a link to the YouTube channel. So if you just click on that, it'll go straight through to the hit subscribe button and um, you can maybe do that and just help out the, uh, the various efforts that are going underway. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is one of the reasons why you might be interested in the YouTube channel is that I'm going to start doing a weekly Q&A and coaching workshop live on that channel. I'm going to tr- probably going to do that on a Wednesday and I'm, I'm actually probably going to um, do it at lunchtime or possibly in the evening, but I will let you know more that um, probably through social media. I'll post it maybe on my Facebook or something like that as to what the final decision is. <laughs> All right, look, let's get into the show, shall we? Uh, Today, I am talking about how you should mentally deal with missing out on those really big opportunities. Now, this is totally different to failures. I'm not talking about those projects that go sideways and you've lost money on and stuff like that. I've got plenty of those and I've talked about them uh, in some detail on a couple of previous episodes. And, you know, my worst deal probably of all was my Spanish project. I lost over 3 million euro in that project alone. And, you know, so basically learning how to deal with that kind of failure and, and, you know, finding ways to kind of overcome the, you know, the stigma that you might feel that is attached to that kind of a failure. That is a whole episode by itself. No, today I'm actually talking about the opportunities that you just some for some reason passed on and you decided, ah, I'm not going to do that. And then they go on to do something incredibly spectacular and you kind of are sitting back thinking, oh my God, I cannot believe I had an opportunity to do that. And I passed on it or I let it go or whatever it is. And that can take many shapes or forms. Um, and I'm going to talk about a couple of examples, real life examples that I've gone through myself and how I kind of deal with them. So example one, um, I got to go way back to 2012 or something like that. So about nine, 10 years ago. And uh, it was during the really deepest part of the recession that followed the 2008 crash. And I was living in, I think I was living in Doha at the time or possibly London by this stage. And uh, I've been doing a lot of traveling, as you probably know. But I was keeping an eye on the Dublin market. I used to have the Irish Times on um, subscription on my iPad. So I'd go in and I'd read cover to cover the property section. And at the time it was a pretty thin section, but there was an old warehouse building in the Docklands area. And uh, it was in the Grand Canal docks and it was on the market for 1.3 million. And I can remember at the time I was personally in deep trouble. I had the banks after me. I've talked about this before. I was like 16 million in the red or something like that at this stage. So I was in deep, deep shit, um, but I could see that this was going to be a massive, massive bargain at that price. And it was right next to the Google headquarter building. 
And so I kind of thought, wow, maybe this deal, this could, this is a potential deal that could kind of dig me out of my troubles and help me kind of keep the uh, keep the banks at bay. So I approached a couple of investors with a view to kind of buying this, um, using their money to basically help me buy it. And I would get, you know, development management fees. So it would keep the wolf from the door, but also I would get a carry. And um, you, you know, those of you who are experienced will know exactly what a carry is. But for those of you who are young and uh, inexperienced, a carry is where you basically get, uh, you know, profit share. And even though you might not put any money into the deal, or the small amount that you put in represents maybe 5%. But if you get a carry, you might get a carry of 10 or 15% or something like that on the profit that the deal makes. Because you created the deal, the, you originated the opportunity, you did all these things that kind of have created the value and therefore you get an extra carry. Back then, I was living in Qatar or I just moved from Qatar. So I had a load of Middle Eastern investors and those guys were absolutely loaded with cash. And at the time, you know, you couldn't approach any Irish investors really because most of them were very, very, you know, in, in difficult in a difficult situation with the crash in the market. And so you couldn't approach Irish people. You had to go abroad. And I had spent the last three years living in the Middle East. So I had some good investors. But the worst thing about those guys was they were completely fixated on the London market. And I could go and find deals in London that they were all interested in. But as soon as I mentioned Dublin, they kind of glazed over and they just weren't that interested. And especially this tiny little deal for 1.3 million in the Docklands. And so I just, no matter how hard I tried, I just could not convince these guys that this was a deal to do. And even though I knew like this was 100% certainty in my mind that this was going to be a winner of a deal. But my network was just, um, I don't know, I probably should have worked harder on building my network so I had more opportunity to go out to other investors and try to maybe try to snap it up. But in the end... It was bought by an investor called Chris Jones, and um, he bought it for 1.3 million, and he invested another 1.4 million, I think it was, on the refurbishment and the conversion of this old warehouse into kind of an office building. And it only took him about two years to do it, and then he went and put it on the market for sale. And who did he? He actually no, he didn't put it on the market to sale. He knew who he was going to sell it to right from the beginning, I imagine because he went and sold it to Google. And what is just, <laughs> it's quite painful for me to even say this, what he actually sold, he sold it for 13 million euro. So he made, he cleared a 10 million profit in just two years. That's how certain I was that that was gonna be a, a winner, but I actually didn't think it was actually gonna sell for that much. And you can just imagine how I felt when I read that. And at the time, it was 2004, 15, I think it was when I read that article in the paper and I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, I cannot believe I was chasing that deal and this is how it's turned out. And um, anyway, even reading about it today kind of makes me, uh, makes the hair stand up on my neck. So how do I deal with that particular emotion that I'm feeling right now? Well, you know, I'm kind of talking about hair standing up my neck and stuff, but the reality is, is that it's actually not so difficult to deal with. And that's because one of the big reasons why I say that is because the deal was never in my control. And I try not to worry or sort of get caught up in emotion, getting emotional about things that I don't have complete direct influence over or control of. So the reality is anyone could have bought it. 
it was, you know, it was on the market. There was a lot of other investors looking at it. I had no control over the process, no control over my own investors' decision-making. And so, you know, who knows the way it could have gone. Even if I had secured it, the investors that I was, uh, that I was you know, attracting to bring into it, they might have decided to go a different way. And they might have decided, no, 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 let's convert it into apartments or something like that. And in the end, anyway, I just, you know, it wasn't for there for me to do. And so it, um, it just, you know, it was one of those ones that slipped away. But if you kind of dwell on it, you're just, it's, it's not going to serve you at all. All you can do is use that sense of, you know, missed opportunity as, I suppose, fuel to drive your, your ambitions and just make sure that you don't miss the next one. So anyway, that's one example. And now I'm going to go into a, another example. And this one goes back, it's actually around about the same time. In fact, I have an email here in front of me and it's dated the 2nd of April 2013. And I'll just give you a little bit of this, the backstory here. I was at a barbecue and at the time I was living in the Middle East, but I had come back to Spain where my, my, um, my family were living at the time. And I had spent, you know, the weekend at a friend's house. We were having a barbecue and this was my, you know, the pals that I had that I had kind of made when I was living in Spain. And we were all sitting around the barbecue, drinking a couple of beers and we were talking about making money and investing and stuff. And my friend Miles, who is a, an American, um, he's based, well, he's from California, but at the time he was living in Spain and he was a real tech guy. He knew his way around technology and all that kind of stuff. And he told us all about this great new opportunity called Bitcoin. And uh, you can probably tell where I'm going with this, but he suggested that we as a group, now there were seven of us at this barbecue and... Um, I see the email here. I can actually see the names of all seven of us. And what he suggested is, guys, why don't we all put 5000 each, $5,000 into a, a little fund that the, five, that the seven of us will own a share of. And we'll buy 35 grand's worth of Bitcoin and we'll just see what happens. Now, this is, it's a, this is a kind of another one of those ones that you kind of go, oh my God, the opportunity, it was there. Now, when at the time, the price of Bitcoin was just $89. That's an eight and a nine. And uh, if you're following Bitcoin at all, you might be aware that it recently hit $64,000 for one Bitcoin when we had an opportunity in 2013 to buy it for $89. So that little fund that myself and my six other pals were looking at doing would have been 35 grand and we would have bought 393 uh, bitcoins and our little fund today at the 64,000 price would be worth 25 million dollars my personal share of that would have been 3.6 million dollars on a five thousand dollar investment so why didn't we go ahead well it's one of those kind of things um we were sitting in a barbecue, it was the weekend, we were all having a chat over beers, and the following Monday or Tuesday, uh, Miles sent an email to all, us, all of us, and this is the email I'm looking at in front of me, and it says that the price had hit 140. So it had gone from 89 over the weekend to 140 by the Tuesday following, which is almost double in just a couple of days. And so, the, 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 you know, the response from all of us was simply like, oh, God, you know, the bloody thing has just doubled. We've missed the boat. And so 
just like that, we dropped the idea there and then. And uh, I see this email here and Miles has given out that we were a bunch of sissies that we didn't go ahead. But how do I deal with that one? I mean, that is another one of those things that I feel like there is no point beating yourself up over this kind of stuff. Like the reality is I understand my personality and I know exactly the emotions that I would have gone through over that ride up in value. And had we gone ahead and bought at, even if we had gone ahead and bought at $140, and if we had done, you know, our fund might not have made it to 25 million, but it would probably be worth, you know, 10 or 15 million. So it would have still have been an amazing investment. But the reality is, is that when the share, when the price of Bitcoin rose to 200 or 300 or 400 or 500 or whatever it went to over the next couple of months, there is no doubt in my mind that the pressure to sell would have started to kind of come from the various partners because nobody could ever have imagined that the share price was going to go to 64,000. I mean, when you, when you get to say 10x your money, if you put in five grand and then after a couple of months or a year or two later, it's worth 50 grand, you're going to just think that you're a fantastic genius and you're going to want to take the profit and you're going to be thinking, geez, you know, I don't want to lose this 50 grand. I better go and take a profit. And so that is my, I'm absolutely convinced that I would not have sat back and let that investment continue to grow. I would have, you know, started to freak out at the thought of losing where we had gotten to. And don't forget, Bitcoin is a very, very volatile priced prod, you know, product. At the moment, the, the, the price has actually fallen back. I think today it's at 48,000. So it hit 64 not long ago, and it's now back at 48. And so a lot of people are taking profit. A lot of people are freaking out that they might have bought at 60 and now it's at 48. So they're looking at a loss straight away. So it's a very volatile market. And if you're sitting on a huge amount of money tied up in something like that, and every time you look at the share price or the value of your portfolio and it's jumped, you know, 100,000 today, 60,000 down tomorrow, it's very, very volatile. It's very hard to actually sit back and just take that. And so because of that, because of that reality, I know that my emotions would have just been way too anxious at the time and I would have checked out. I would have easily at some point said, you know what, it doesn't matter that we, we got in at 140 and now it's at 300. It's time to take a profit um, because we've locked in nice. We've doubled our money. We've trebled our money. We've even 10 extra money. You would not sit there and just watch it grow to the point where you've made 2000 times your money or whatever it is. And because I realize that I don't beat myself up about it. I just know that it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's just, it happens and I move on and I don't spend too much time thinking about it because again, it's not, it's not something that would have happened. Had I bought at 89, I can tell you, unless I kind of lost the, the, you know, the account number that it was in and I, it was sitting there locked away and I was unable to get it. And then suddenly, miraculously, I could open it up. That's the only way I was going to actually be able to extract that value. So I just move on. I just think to myself, you know what? I learn from this and the next time there's an opportunity like that, I will buy and I'll just sit on it for years. The other thing to remember is that back in 2013, it was not easy to actually buy and sell Bitcoin there were not apps like you have today. You had to have these special keys and um, 
encrypted kind of um, accounts and stuff like that, there was a lot of friction to getting into the market. And so, you know, if I hadn't, obviously my friend Miles was well capable of steering us through that. But, you know, if you had bought it by yourself, if you were thinking about buying this by yourself and you had to kind of navigate all these things that are, you know, nowadays I just open up one of my apps on my phone and I can push a button and I can buy. And I have actually, believe it or not, I've actually bought, I bought Bitcoin at price, a certain price and recently enough and I sold it. At, I think I made like probably three or four times my money in the space of a couple of months. And I was thinking I was a genius, but of course it kept on going. And I went on and on and on and up. And so I could have got out at a much higher price. So again, there's just an example of the way the mindset works. It's like you see the thing and you see it going up and you think to yourself, whoa, it's time to lock in the profit. So I actually have a, a third example that is very, very similar. And it was actually more recently. It was May of 2017. And I was over in London for the day. I can't remember why I was in London, but I met with a friend of mine, uh, a guy called Magnus. And we were having lunch. He lived in London at the time and he was working in the kind of finance sector. And we were having lunch together. He was another friend that actually had come from living in Spain. And we were talking about this new thing, Ethereum, another cryptocurrency. And at the, pri at the time, um, Magnus was telling this, the price was $93 for one Ethereum coin. And he told me that back in January, now this was May of 2017, Back in January of 2017, it was just $8 to buy one. And so in just four months, this had gone, had jumped by 10 times. And so again, I looked at it and I thought, ah, you know, if only I had known back in January, I could have bought and I could have 10x my money. Never thinking that at, at you know, $93, it was still an incredibly cheap purchase price. And so again, passed on it. And then the recent high was actually... $2,600. And so that if I had invested, say, 5000 at the time in May, in May 2017, that would have grown to 140000 today. But again, you know, the same applies, basically. Don't beat yourself, you know, don't beat yourself up over stuff that you didn't do. And, um, you know, you know yourself that selling, you know, you would have been thinking yourself a huge genius if you had sold at three or four times what you had paid for it. And you would have taken the profits and you would have put them into something else. Now, what do you take from this? What is the takeaway from this discussion today? Is there a point? I just wanted to kind of reinforce the fact that long-term investing is the way to go about. Um, these examples just show that if you get into you know, something like Bitcoin or something like that, it can be very, very lucrative over the long, time, over the long term. But you have to basically buy it put it away and just forget about it. If you're tracking it every single day or every week, you get way too emotionally caught up in this whole decision-making and you will easily convince yourself that it is now time to sell. Whereas if you just forget it, now one of the examples I can use is I have a little pension fund that um, had some cash in it and I think it's probably back around about 2010 or something like that. I had some money sitting in it and I can remember uh, there's a share called Kingspan, and uh, a lot of you Irish guys will know Kingspan is. It's an Irish company. It does the, uh, it does the stuff uh, uh, that's clads basically factory buildings or, uh, or where share you know sheds, warehouses, whatever. It's the metal cladding that goes around the outside, and um, Kingspan 
I can't remember the price that I paid for it, but I bought about 20,000 euros worth of shares in it and it was stuck it into the pension fund. And so I thought, you know, I'll just sit there and, and let that ride. And I recently opened up and had a look at it and that had actually grown that that 20,000 investment. I'd forgotten about it for about 10 years. And when I opened it recently, I saw that those shares are now worth 170,000 or something like that. So it just shows you that had I been tracking that, I would have seen the 20 grand would have become 50 grand. And I would have thought, whoa, I'm a genius. I look at this great investment I made. And I would have probably sold out at that price. And instead, by just not watching it and just by forgetting about it, it went on to make um, a lot of money. And uh, so I was very, very, very fortunate in that situation. Now, it's the same with property. You go and buy a place. Obviously, you've got to collect the rent and you've got to you know, look after the property and stuff. Um, but most of the time, property goes up over time. And so no matter what price you get in, as long as it's cash flowing correctly, no matter what price you get in, usually if you're holding for the long term, you're always going to do well. Uh, now, when you do sell, and when, you know, I, my preference is actually now is just not to sell. It's actually just to let these be assets in your portfolio and that you don't really sell them ever. They, they're in fact, they're something that you can kind of pass on to your, your kids and stuff like that in the future. And uh, because why do I say that? Because probably what will I do? I'll, I'll take the money out and I'll say, oh, let's go and buy a, a nice car. Or you might put it into another property and that property could, you know, fall in value or you could... Um, you could make just, you know, one or two times your money on it. And if you had invested in something else, it could go to a thousand or 10,000 or whatever. Um, so it's always difficult to know what to do. So I kind of prefer now to just set and forget, invest for the long term. And that, that is something that Warren Buffett actually has always said. He, he has said that if the stock market was to close for 10 years and it, the next time he can sell his shares is, is not for another 10 years, he would be perfectly happy with the shares, with the various companies that he has invested in. So I suppose the takeaway for today, don't beat yourself up over deals that you didn't do because there's just way too many variables out there and you just don't know what would have happened during the, the holding period. You probably would have sold, you probably would have let your emotions get carried away. And so the best thing is set and forget, stick it in a place that you can't see it every day, that you're not tracking it all of the time. And obviously, if it's a development project or some or some sort of strategy that you've got where you've got to get in and get out, well, that's a different story. But I just I, re I remember this. Um, I read recently that Jeff Bezos read out a letter at a, um, his, his recent investment meeting that he had or whatever. And there was a couple who bought shares in Amazon way back at the IPO, which was like 1997. So here we are nearly 25 years later. And the little investment that they made in Amazon back then they've still got it today and it's worth millions and over those years they've actually they've put their kid through college which is expensive in the u.s as most of you would know but in addition to that i think they bought like um, an apartment for their son and things like that so just think long term that is the takeaway today all right guys that is episode number 20 uh, number 25 number 52 and uh, again, I'm just going to keep on reminding you guys that the YouTube channel, if you can just go over there and help me with the subscription and either like a video or leave a comment or something like that, going to be building a little community in there. And um, it seems like a good way to do it. 
that is all for episode 52 of Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. As always, oh, well, I normally say, as always, I like you to leave a review on the podcast, but today it's going to be, please go straight to my YouTube channel and hit subscribe. And um, if you have any uh, need for answering questions or if you want to make a topic that you want to suggest a topic for me to cover in the next podcast or the next video in YouTube, you know, connect with me on social media, Gavin J. Gallagher. And of course, you can always go and sign up to my newsletter or my uh, email list. And that is, you'll find that by going to my website, gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. All right, guys, next week, we're going to have Daniel Priestley. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you all then. Mm-hmm.